If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plushcare. Plushcare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Your Book, the podcast for literary nosy parkers. I'm your book inspector, Daisy Buchanan, and the author of Insatiable, a love story for greedy girls. If you're planning on getting this book for someone as a Christmas present, you can order it through the Margate Bookshop and request a personalised inscription. I will write a special dedication to the gift recipient. Or if you're buying from your local independent bookshop, I can send a personalised book plate. Just tell them I sent you and we'll get it organised. On the subject of signed books, your book listeners can pre-order an exclusive signed copy of my new novel, Careering, from waterstones.com. It's an office-based romantic comedy where the love interest is the job itself, and it's coming in March. It's for everyone who's ever said, I love my job, but wondered why it is that jobs often don't seem to love us back. Now, on to today's guest. Yersa Daly Ward is a poet and memoirist. She co-wrote Black as King with Beyoncé. Her book, The Terrible, won the Penn Ackley Prize, and we're talking to celebrate her beautiful new book, The How, Notes on the Great Work of Meeting Yourself. Yersa and I talked about being enthralled to Jeanette Winterson, adopting books found on other people's doorsteps, and the books that are so good we need physical and audio copies. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and congratulations on The How, which is just beautiful and brilliant, and it feels like the book I've been waiting my whole life for. Oh! god thank you so much that's so kind it's just so so nourishing and I know I've read interviews where you've talked about the the strangeness of the last 18 months wow and writing something that where writing what is needed and it really does feel like what is needed oh I'm glad to hear it thank you so I really love the way you you share your work and I know you talked about making it accessible and I was wondering about any other writers or poets or voices that you've discovered online you know on Instagram or anywhere that you've really loved and connected with and want to talk about. You know I a lot of the people I admire I've admired for years and I tend to because I share a lot of my work online, I tend to not s- s- hang around online a lot <laughs> because it's a lot of time spent on- online and I don't, I don't want to be s- staring at that rectangular box too much. Yeah. But a lot of the writers I, I admire and go on admiring are Jeanette Winterson, Toni Morrison, Alice Walker, the facility, their facility with language and the way that they say things, the way that they construct sentences Chimamanda even like Roald Dahl growing up the way that language is used I'm so 
I'm so obsessed with just looking at how somebody ha has interwoven an experience and, and distilled it onto the page. Wow. I mean, so right there, there are some, you know, big, big names and exciting names. Yeah. So I'm going to go back and unpick a little bit. I'd love to hear, maybe if we could start with Jeanette Winterson, I'd love wow. to know how and where you met her and the first book that you read and where you discovered it and where you felt that connection. Sure. Uh, I've got a few things to say about that one. So initially, the first book that I read, I was about 18 when I found it, and it was Oranges Are Not The Only Fruit. And when I read that book, <laughs> I was so excited because, first of all, that super religious upbringing, the very, very sort of... I want to say sheltered, but it's much more smothering than that even, mm. that she had with her, that, that Jeanette Winterson had, had, that the author had with their mother. And um, I don't know how Jeanette Winterson identifies, so I just thought, I just want to be mindful of that one. But um, yeah, that, that whole experience, and it, it felt as though I could tell the truth about where I was from and what I have experienced, because I grew up in a similar household, a very, very strict and religious household, particularly for my sort of early years. And when I read mm. Oranges Are Not the Only Fruit, there were such parallels with that in my own life. that I just felt so empowered to be able to talk about things that I, I didn't think, frankly, you were allowed to talk about. <laughs> but there was someone yeah. else having these experiences and it was so deeply exciting to me I think it's definitely one of those books that almost challenges and messes with the structure of what you think is allowed to be in a story and what a story should be and even though I think she writes you know almost sort of classically in terms of the you know the beauty of language and the sort of the formality of the the beats of the story there is still that really exhilarating exciting feeling of being not being challenged, but also being liberated and, you know, given permission at a time when no one's giving you permission to do anything. Right. And there's a certain type of truth telling that is just so seductive. And again, I found written on the body on some stall. The first time I ever went to New York, it was on some stall. And my friend said, that's a really good book. So I bought it. But I was not prepared for the beauty in the pages and when I read that book I went straight back to the beginning and read it this, a second time I remember reading it on the L train just going back and and forward on the L train because I was in New York visiting my friend and I just fell deeply for that book and I, I feel that way about a lot of the author, the author's work I love that idea it's almost like a romance isn't it the chance oh. sighting of just seeing it out in the open not you know outside a bookshop as well for sure for sure and just how a book finds you as well how a book finds you and I love to choose books based on a feeling in the moment there are some books that I'm thinking about for a long time and and then I'm like okay it's time, it's, it's time, I need to get this book and that book. But there are also those books that just find you. A lot of the time where I live, people leave them outside the houses for people to just take in boxes. And I, I find a lot of books that way as well. Oh, so tell me about what you found in the boxes oh, through rummaging. Oh my goodness. So my latest one is Boy Snowbird by Helen Oyeyemi. 
And I also found, I found a few books that way, actually. I also found a really incredible illustrated book of Gulliver's Travels. And it's beautiful. It's on the top shelf of my, my bookshelf. And also um, Little Weirds by Jenny Slate. And also, uh, the, I think the Tanahesi Coates book, Between the World and Me, was also... Was also was also found in Brooklyn. Oh, your neighbours have great taste. They do, they do, and it's so huge. It's so huge, Brooklyn, that you find people of varying tastes. So it's it's a very full area. If you want another link in the coincidence chain, um, Helen Oyeyemi was. Um, we've had her on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, talking about her new book, Pieces, which is incredible. Wow! I can't wait. I can't wait. That this was also the first the first book of hers that I've well I'm I'm in it now I'm about a quarter of the way through it, and wow wow I I wish I'd found I wish I'd found her sooner but it's always the right time I suppose it's true and I think that's a lovely feeling as well to it almost takes you back doesn't it that to have that yeah. sort of you know to want it so much your past self yes but I yes. think with her there's something so gloriously immersive and you know like being in an underwater world is it a hard book to to break away from and look up from sure it is and I love that I love to fall deeply so deeply inside it that even when you do have to stop you're you're thinking about it and you you want to get back to it also it's it's just such a page turner you're wondering okay what what is going to happen here and it's 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 so mystical and a little bit frightening and funny and all of these things in wrapped in the one book so I know you mentioned and I've read that you had a very sort of specifically religious upbringing and there were lots of rules around sort of you know who you could be and what you could you know the culture you could consume if you want yes. a better word what were the really early books that you found even sort of before you were 18 was there anything that kind of crept through and really made an impact so many books that I will be honest and say that 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 was the golden age of reading because that was when I was discovering it and were it not for those days I wouldn't be a writer and I honestly Daisy I, I, I read everything I read everything um I read Spike Milligan which I have my poetry to to thank and Spike Milligan the bible and Roald Dahl <laughs> are, are the reasons that I I infuse my writings with poetry and slip from one form to the next because I read things like James and the Giant Peach and saw there was this incredible novel, this fantastical, poignant, incredible no- novel that also broke into song and broke into poetry and did things that were just so hilarious and, and deep and... And so I would say a lot, probably the whole of the whole of Roald Dahl's back catalogue, definitely poets like Spike Milligan, Roger McGough. I read all of those things at a really, really early age. And then my mum had all kinds of romance novels too. And, and she had the Kama Sutra. I, I looked at everything when I was young. <laughs> so Oh wow. Yeah. And she had an illustrated version of it. And I just remember being just so fascinated. Um, but not only that, she had medical journals and I would just read anything I could get my hands on. 
And I think the incredible thing about the Kama Sutra, when we talk about, you know, what you discover at a young age, and I was absolutely that kid who just wanted to get my hands on the the rudest book or the most explicit (laughs) book or the most banned looking book. But of all the things that, you know, a kid could pick up, it's probably not so bad, is it? I mean, it's very sort of, as far as I know the work, which I will confess isn't, you know, in great detail, you know, it's about sort of you know shared pleasure and yeah. about two people and it's not you know what so often the narrative really objectifies and hurts and harms women and it yes. seems much more balanced than that it was and the version that my mother had was so beautiful and and the drawings were almost hand-painted and yeah it it was it was just so natural nothing it didn't feel bad it just felt like oh what's this oh okay and yeah she had she had a lot of books like that and a lot of classics and just so many different things. And and I think that helps as well to build a wealth of curiosity mm. in the young mind to be interested in everything, not just Definitely. romance or not just what we call children's books. Not suggesting that all children should read the Kama Sutra, but there were so many things <laughs> that my mother had that helped me understand people and helped me understand, even because my mother was a nurse, so she had a lot of uh, books on biology and nursing and plants and everything like that and, and medicines. And yeah, I I just grew to be interested in, a, in a, a large range of things. And it's so interesting the way you were surrounded by all of that work that's about how we care for each other and how we care yeah. for ourselves. And that's now what you were writing, I suppose, and it's a different huh, area. Suppose, but- yeah. Yeah, I suppose it is. I suppose it is. I hadn't looked at it like that, but I guess everything is connected to the other thing as well. Mm. No, I absolutely agree there. I was thinking about Roald Dahl and Spike Milligan too, and I suppose how they are, you know, they're both written for adults as well, but those writers that, as children, there's not that sense, you know, there are lots of books that you are given as a kid and you're like, well, no, this is for you and only you. And, you know, this is something that you'll grow out of. And I don't think they're voices that you do grow out of because adults are so exhilarated by that, you know, silliness and just the joy in using language for language's sake. And what I remember about those writers in particular was being quite, you know, nerdy and being a reader. They made being a reader cool, which helped me but it also really helped me in terms of surviving the playground and having a point of connection with the cool kids who thought (laughs) I was odd yeah I agree I I definitely wasn't a cool kid and just very there was a shyness to me I mean that that doesn't really go away but there was this shyness Mm. and this sensitivity and there you are seeing it inside of of people grown people that you're reading about and it it helps you feel less alone. Mm. I suppose that brings us back to Jeanette Winterson yes. a little bit, but are there any other people in characters in books where you've really connected with that sense of them having an interior life that's very different from what they're presenting to the world? Sure. Well, I felt that a lot with a lot of Alice Walker's characters because of how she unflinchingly writes about women, the lives of women in terms of their sensuality and hidden desire, not always hidden desires, but 
I see it with Celie in the color purple. Um, her desire was was often. I mean, she was she was blocked. She was controlled in a lot of ways, but she still had this rich interior life. And then, I would say that of the the characters in by the light of my father's smile as well. Just this this burgeoning, um, blossoming interior sensuality, which is just so. I was 18 when I read that book and I just felt like I discovered a whole new world, you know? And yeah, same with Toni Morrison's characters in Sula, in Beloved. It was really important for me to read those books at the time that I found them. Sounds like a really powerful experience and quite a a moment in terms of, you know, a your own maturity like something very specific you can point back to and say yes that was the time and that was the book yeah because I spent so much of my early life well first of all I was I was trying to fit in because I lived in Chorley in the northwest and I looked like I do I was the only black girl there and so 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 much of my time was spent trying to blend in or, or not be seen and then on top of that I had a really religious home life because I was living with my grandparents not my mother I had to live with my grandparents from the age of six and my grandparents were the super religious ones and of course so at home I had to behave a certain way and there was no there was was many years and a lot of experience of, of not being myself or or being quieter or being yeah being silent so when I found these these women in these books and I understood that what I felt was not unprecedented what I felt was what people feel that brought great comfort and you could really hear it in your voice when you talked about Celie and I suppose that's the the difference that to have your own secret private world and your own sexuality and sensuality and that feels like something precious and independent it's not that it's something that's being repressed or hold back, like a, a happy secret, something you yes. don't necessarily owe it to anyone to share. Yeah, absolutely. And to have a rich interior life is just one of the the biggest joys of of existence, I think. Yeah, and it helps your your art because there's something there and there's something there's always something to put onto the page or something to share. And I think broadly writers fall into two camps and I've spoken to writers who feel that they can't have any voices in their head other than their own when they're writing and when they're getting down to it and other writers and I think this is the way I feel where there there can't not be something and ideally you know what they're reading and who they're reading feels very very different from what they're working on but they need Mm. you know that's where the you know, it's it's the petrol for the tank. They need to keep keep topped up. Can you read, if not like when you're writing, during the writing periods? Yeah, and I think it's important for me to do so because we're we're always collecting information, and it's not that you read a paragraph and you write that paragraph out. It's the chain of events that it's it's the it's the chemical reaction. It's what happens in your brain as a byproduct of that that that's paragraph and it might not have anything to do with that paragraph it might be like the paragraph is about goals but then there's something that that 
that massages something warm or something mm. shining in you and then you write about a completely different thing but to me reading books is like having an awesome conversation where then you go and write a poem off the back of the conversation it's not that you're taking anything verbatim or even that you're talking about the same subject it's what it's what it massages inside of you uh and I, I don't know how to say that other, in a clearer way but yeah I, I I think it's important I think it's juice I love that idea of it being a massage mm. I think that's fantastic and I'm always going to think of that now and sometimes I have moments where I think well you know you can just pick like any mentor you like you don't have to know them and they don't even have to be you know still alive and with us but any book you read it's a communication and there's something that that author can help you to unravel or deepen or strengthen I love that that it's a communication it really is it really is because something is happening you're responding to it I don't know if you've been asked this a lot but I was thinking about following the work that you did on Black is King. Are there any books or texts that you'd really love to adapt to the screen in some way? Or anything you're working on that you're allowed to talk about? You know, one thing that I learned the last year and a half is that I actually really enjoy adapting things. I love the idea of adapting shorter stories. I love the idea of... I mean, even adapting a Jeanette Winterson book, I would feel under a lot of pressure because her books are (laughs) incredible. But there are so many... Because they're just so rich with imagery and sometimes they describe parallel lifelines, different, different timelines, and I think that's so interesting. And I like work that that investigates that, that investigates the, the fluidity um, of, of time. Please adapt to Jeanette Winterson. I would oh, love I it so would. much. Which one will you do? Oh, my goodness. Well, I've named two of them that I love. But honestly, the one that... It's hard to say which book has had the most impact on me, but I love Sexing the Cherry because it's, a, it's stories within stories within stories, which I... Is, is my absolute weakness. Mm. Uh, but honestly, I could adapt any anything that's written. I like, um, I like things that are rich in imagery and not necessarily linear. So and there are so many, Samantha Hunt writes like that. Uh, there are so many people who do this in such a glorious way. Can you tell me about Samantha Hunt? Because I don't know her at all. Samantha Hunt has a book called The Seas. And that was another book that I fell in love with just because of the way it described love, alcoholism, mania, just so many things, depression. And, but it's the imagery that's so rich in that book. And I will say that is, I just find it so glorious to read about very everyday feelings, emotions, mental states, but described beautifully. I'm just having a sneaky Google of that now because that sounds so far up my alley. And I really love anyone writing well about addiction 
and yeah. just that the the way that for as long as we've been alive humans have turned to find you know short and long-term fixes for having too many feelings and being you know what we do and we're frightened of our feelings and anyone who's able to write and share about what it is to just allow the feelings and sit with them and know there is no cure for our emotions I think it's one of the most generous things a writer can do yeah it is it is and and who shies away from romanticizing is if you if you have to have a feeling anyway why not write about it beautifully Mm, you do but I think this is definitely you know a very old idea and it's really changing but I think about the sort of you know the cult of Hemingway and the sort of all you know to be a, a writer is to be a drinker and you know have all this sort of this constant pain and that this and the sort of and the worst things get them all you have to write about mm. yeah I think that's a very old idea but I can I think when I was younger I definitely saw the you know romanticize that sort of emotional torture I do believe that when you have experienced something that's so deep and, and that, that has a lot of depth to it and that's shadowy and if you if you survive it, then you can make glorious work from it. I don't think you have to stay there. I definitely don't. In yeah. Fact, in fact, I feel that when you say that it's harder to write because, or maybe it's not harder to write, but it's harder to write with any consistency and to treat this mm. like something you show up for. Because how do you show up for anything when you're in the, in the depth of depression or addiction? It's really difficult. People have done it, but it has you know, that there gets to be a time when you can't do it anymore. It has a short shelf life. It's not the feelings that are the problem, it's the, the numbing, isn't it? And I, I think it's it must be very, very hard to write well when you are so overwhelmed that you're choosing to numb yourself. It must be. It must be hard to show up for it each day. And unfortunately, inspiration is, is only a, a small percentage of writing a book. The larger percentage mm. is writing the book and sitting there every day and really I can think of nothing that's better than to be in good health writing a book because there's so much difficulty to to the whole thing anyway this it's there's so much difficulty with production and having it out and everything everything like that there's so much it's there's a sense of of it being anticlimactic and everything like that so please be healthy when you're doing it so at least you can feel your feet on the ground i need to repeat that there is nothing better than to be in good health writing a book i am going to have that framed in a 96 (laughs) point type and i'm going to look at that and think about it every day (laughs) i need to get it framed as well i think publishing a book might be the opposite of writing a book or at least close to the opposite oh it it surely is it sure, it sure, it sure is. It sure is. And while I love all aspects of the book making process, it's very different. There was there are several different hats. And what you were saying about you know sharing work online and you know Instagram especially, but also knowing in your bones that you can't be both the the poster and the viewer. That there's too, there are too many sort of avenues to get you know, sucked into and sucked down and the the posting and the sharing is hard enough. I thought that was very, very wise and very resonant. 
yeah, you'll get lost. And then next thing you know, it's mid-afternoon or late afternoon and you haven't written anything. And I can't afford to do that. I also have to write while that the morning glow is still is still on my head. As the day gets later, it is more difficult for me to 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 write in, to to be in the space that I am in for writing. The the later part of the day, if I am working, it's for it's for things like fixes. It's for things like doing things like problem solving. But it's not for that stream. It's not. It's 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 different. The the consciousness is different when the sun goes down. I think. I think I read Elizabeth Gilbert saying that when she's writing, she gets up to about five in the morning or four in the morning, and it's oh, that sort of just sure. needing to be doing it when she knows no one's going to ask her anything. Yeah, it's really important. What I'm learning as well is well, I, I learned this. I would say a couple of years ago, when you live in. America but you work in England as well mm. you can't turn your phone on because you're going you're going to wake up and then I meditate before I do anything but you're, you're going to wake up and then you're going to have all of these emails and updates saying well can you confirm this and are you free then to do that and but if you start to answer and I I would naturally answer because I'm, I'm like that if I get a question mm. I want to an- answer it I'm not somebody who but you just can't you just can't if you're going to then write because it's it's there's so many of them and then before you know it you spent two hours re- replying to emails and that's your writing time your head's in a totally different place and I have to really consciously do it because I do wake up to those emails so <laughs> yeah the phone has to be off. I'd love to hear more about when and how you meditate and you know when you found that practice. I found the practice a couple a few years ago what I realized though is that I've always done it even as a child I used to just lie in blades of grass and look at the sky and my mind would be clear a lot clearer than it is now because (laughs) I managed a lot of stillness as a child I really really did and it's the first thing I do when I wake up it's not always easy because I'm thinking oh I've got to do this and this and this, but it's important to get that stillness before going out. And then the second thing I do is go for a walk and then I come back and write. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. 
system. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. We'll be back with you as soon, but now it's time for my Steal of the Week. I've chosen Everything is Under Control, a memoir with recipes by Phyllis Grant. This is a book I read just before lockdown started, and I think it slipped through the net a little. It is the best kind of comfort reading and comfort eating. Nourishing in places, achingly elegiac in others, it's about food, appetite, womanhood wanting and New York. Everything is Under Control is published by FSG and out now. Now, back to Yersa. I was wondering, sort of as a a memoirist, uh, which, are there any other memoirs or biographies that you love, that you've really connected with? Oh, memoirs and biographies. I love Pilgrim at Tinker Creek by Annie Dillard. And does it count as a memoir? It feels as though it does. I don't know that book. Tell me about it. It's incredible. Oh, my goodness. So it's kind of a walk into nature. And the author just talks about where they are in... I'm not sure. I think it's... I want to say Virginia, but I'm not sure. And I just cannot express to you what the what it how it feels to listen to this every aspect of nature the trees the birds wildlife is just described but in just this deep spiritual and intensely visual way it sounds really nourishing and recharging and kind of restful it is that's a that's the perfect 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 explanation of that actually and I listen to the audiobook version as well quite a lot. Just to sometimes if I'm on a plane or if I'm just in a situation that is is energetically draining or the anxiety is high, just to listen to those words, the the, the it's it's such a balm. That sounds really glorious. And also, I love that you intuitively know that's what you need during an anxious time or a stressful time. Are there many books where you have the print version and listen to the audiobook version? So many. It's how I listen to A Little Life. I listen to A Little Life. I, I, I have the book, but about maybe, I want to say maybe a 20th through the book, I decided to switch to hearing it. Um, by uh, Hanya Yanagahara and listening to that on subway platforms and going to and from places was just it was the way I wanted to devour such a huge book as well it's it's interesting as well with the voice because I feel that first of all you're getting used to the voice and then the Mm. voice just becomes somebody you know I would love to listen to that book something so you know intense and painful I wonder whether it does feel you know that to get the the warmth of it because I think it is a book that in the best kind of way just feel quite isolating in places to to have someone telling you and as you say the more you hear that voice because you get a lot of book for your buck 
you feel like it's a person you know. <laughs> you do. You really, really do. And the same with On Earth, We're Briefly Gorgeous. I listened to that one as well. I have the book, but I listened to that book. Oh, I'm desperate to read that. That's been on my pile for an embarrassing amount of time. But maybe now I'll listen to it. What's that like to hear it's, read? It's so interesting because I, I get torn. Sometimes if a book is mainly... If a book is very plot-based and it's sort of this happened and this happened and it's sort of thriller or... Then I tend to love listening to it. If a book has gorgeous sentences like that one, I tend to want to read it because of the way I, I take in information. And I reading is such... It's such a visceral act to me, just seeing the, mm. the, the, the letters and in, in the ink in the book and seeing the even the dent it makes in the pages it's something really it can be tactile so with with Mm. with ocean vong's work often i like to read it as well there are times when i listen and read read along at the same time for the maximum impact so it depends whether i want to hear the voice in my own in my own voice or not I want to hear the words in my own voice or not because that makes me think of being a little girl at mass and you know listening to a priest or you know doing a sort of call and response but reading in the the mass books or in the sheet what I was hearing and yeah. what, what I was saying it's quite you know it's sort of intensely spiritual doing two at once it is, it is. And I was just thinking, as you were saying that, that I, I like to ingest poetry by reading it, simply because I like to see the line breaks. I don't necessarily want the line breaks to be, I don't necessarily always want to be to be read to, but then yeah, when I'm sharing my work, a lot of people say they prefer to hear it. So I, yeah, it's it's interesting. I guess we're all different in that way how we process information. And when you write, does that feel like the complete communication to you? You're not, do you ever, are there any particular poems that you've written and thought this needs to be told, this is something that people need to hear? Or do you feel like your relationship with the page is very different and specific from sort of your relationship with the idea of a, a recital or a performance? I honestly feel as though the poem becomes something else and neither one is better or worse. The poem just becomes, it's one thing read and it's another one on the page. And when performing them, I change the way that I I speak them depending on how I feel that that day. But yeah, I think it's just a different, it's almost a different language. Mm. It's the same poem, but it isn't. And I like that. I like to, go between it's a bit like setting a song to a new arrangement oh I love that you know just you know bringing different things to life in so many ways I suppose it's I don't know if it's sort of offensive to think of you know your work as a child of yours or something you have produced and I I don't Mm. have any children but sometimes I compare that's the writing process to birthing but Yeah. yeah that you're you're birthing different children depending on how you read something and how you've written it and or, you know, one sort of constantly pulsing, evolving. You thing. are. And I, I try to tell myself that when I have books out and I think, well, I would do it different if it was today. And I think, well, they're not supposed to be different. They're supposed to just be what they are. And then if you want to improve something, you do that 
in the next book and it's not actually that deep you have a book out maybe it wasn't exactly the book that you intended to write but that's okay and if you want to be a writer of books you wouldn't want the first one or the second one or the third one or the fourth one to be perfect because then then what do you do then what do you do indeed then everyone says oh we preferred her at the beginning of her career or their career or his career you know yeah there's no perfection anyway no matter how long you spend on a book there are books that I think have come come quite close though which are there there any books that you haven't mentioned that you think are oh there are so many books that I just adore um when you were talking about memoir memoir the 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 Ta-Nehisi Coates book Between the World and Me and Mm. I think sometimes a book just gets you it's not that the book is perfect but a book just gets you where you are right now and you think I would only want to read this right now. And the same with Heavy by Kiesi Laman. Just the 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 weight of it, um, no pun intended, because the book's called Heavy, <laughs> called Heavy, but there's just so much in that and and, and in the Tanahesi Coates book that it it stings, you know, the reality of what they're talking about. And yet these authors just have such a such beautiful language it sounds as though they're both books that really make you feel yes as much as they make you think and that it's that feeling that you want to climb back into it's absolutely the feeling I remember walking through Burgess Park and I was listening along with Tanahesi I was listening to Tanahesi because I was that was a book that I read and listened to depending on what I was doing so when when I go for my park walks I would just listen to him and there were parts, particularly at the beginning, that I was just, my eyes would just be full of, of, of tears because of how he was speaking to his son. And these letters to his son were just so resonant. I mean, I think that's very telling, isn't it? A book that you just, you cannot be away from. Yeah. So if it's not in your eyes, it must be in your ears. I love that. That's so true. That's so true. Am I right in thinking that so far you've sort of you've written, you know, poetry and memoir and nonfiction, but you've never, you've not yet written a novel? And is that something that you will do? Do you think? Oh yeah, and I, I've I'm currently working on something now, and I'm seeing what it is. It is changing shape in front of me. But every book that I write is going to be different. There won't be another how. There won't be another bone. It will just always be different. And absolutely. I mean, when I started writing as a young girl, there were all novels, there were all fiction. Mm. Uh, And that's what I believe that I'll return to. I think it's so hard when you really love stories and when that's the thing that you you start doing and the thing you think you will do and the thing you want the most. I mean, I definitely felt that I I was just so frightened of trying to write a novel and not doing it for a long time. Mm. until I wrote one it was safer not to try and risk not being able to do the thing I most wanted to do I don't think I fear it but only because I know that a novel nowadays it meets you where you are so your novel can yeah. be can be a collection I've read so many different types of novels that just defy convention and that's why I feel the most free and maybe I, I I write something and it does become 
like a more of a conventional novel but just knowing that you have space I think empowers mm, definitely did you read I was thinking when you were talking about audiobooks um no one is talking about this by Patricia Lockwood it really isn't written as a novel as we know it and it does feel like poetry in places and it's I've, not linear and it's overwhelming and it's not got the shape that we recognize but I think it's brilliant I've been writing this down while you've been talking about it, that I want to read that book. That is on my uh, book. That is on my to read list. No one is talking about this. Uh, But I can imagine it must be hard to read books that are not written in a a sort of regular form, if you will. Just because where you would normally pause, the the bits that you would normally weave together are are not woven together and there's... There's sort of a lot of staccato and run-on sentences and it can be hard. Even reading The Terrible for audiobook, I I came against that and I was like, oh, okay. So it's, it had to be read in a more conversational way. I mean, I would have imagined that as, you know, you're an actor and a performer and you, you know, you do so many different things that compared with most authors tasked with reading the audio for their book that you'd be like yeah I've got this down I know what I'm doing I'm I'm on it did you were you nervous about it before or as you were reading it did you think oh this is actually not quite what I thought it would be no I'm never nervous about reading my work because I know I understand it the most and so I would say that that acting any kind of performance because I used to be a singer as well I would say that any any kind of of experience with that means it's absolutely 100% easier so when I go to a studio to record like an audiobook I know it's going to only take a few hours because there are just certain things that you know like you know how to correct yourself you know when something doesn't sound right you know you don't you don't necessarily have to be told and and I enjoy it because I get to it's another chance to present the work. It's another mm. because it, it matters how you say a sentence. It matters if you if your your voice falls or if you get quieter or if or if something's more intense or if you you know if you go fast and you then you want a lot of energy. It makes such a difference, and I love just deciding in the spur of the moment what it's going to be. And it would never yeah. be the same again if you did it, but if you did it again. But I've just actually two days ago did the one for the how. And I was tired when I got home, though. <laughs> it's tired working with, it's tiring working with your oh, voice. I bet it's intense and intense to kind of to go back and, you know, reprocess and rediscover and to, you know, tear through all that the work that was you know so many months and hours and you know days of concentration and thinking to just you know go rattle through it in a day yeah and sometimes you think why did I write it like this why did I put that word there but you know there it is (laughs) 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 so (laughs) as you said maybe in a way writing is much more like a performance than we know that we think we can just go back and change and change and change but at a point we have to sort of say no that's where the rhythm of it fell that day we just have to make our peace with that I'll tell you something it is for me it is like a performance for me because sometimes I don't remember what I've I've written I, I do with poetry I could I can quote my lines in poetry more or less straight away from memory but I will say that with these longer works, 
yeah, sometimes I look back at them and I was like, what were you thinking when you wrote this? And yeah, I almost don't remember it. I don't remember being in the moment. And I'm not someone, I don't, I don't really edit that much. So mm. I usually keep the first, you know, the, the first writing, the, the essence of the first writing and I'll change words, but I won't change the whole thing. And sometimes I pay, sometimes I pay for that. <laughs> you know, I look back at it and I'm like, hmm. <laughs> but there you go that's part of it I think did you read much poetry at school were there any voices then that you remember because I think poetry at school is so odd because you'd feel I think it can be a little bit like maths where you've either got yeah. a really great teacher who gets it and wants you to get it or it is presented as being something quite daunting quite inaccessible yeah, I think that if I'd relied on school, I got all my poetry from school, I would definitely never look at poetry again. I would never... I, I'm so lucky that my mum had me reading books from an early age because I will say that school, particularly high school, because in primary school you still have really cute poems and just amazing stuff. But I will say the poetry that we were studying at high school was so uninspiring. And so oh, there was just so much of it that, that felt like, felt, felt, it, it didn't feel relevant. It didn't touch my mm. soul. It felt intellectual and just erudite in, in, like, in, a, in a strange, very distant way. And also there was no diversity in terms, not at the mm. time when I was learning it, in terms of what we were being shown. So, of course, we think poetry is that. And, of course, poetry is not that. It's so many things. Poetry is rap. Poetry is manifesto. Poetry is copywriting. Poetry is prose. But we're not taught that. I was taught a very classical way of doing things. And as beautiful as some of the classics are, that's not all there is. I think it's really difficult because I think a lot of kids got robbed of that. I was lucky. Again, my mum sat with me and taught me how to read, so it was not difficult. And also, I grew up on the Bible, so there was no archaic language that was difficult for me. I was, mm. I was, I was really ahead with my language. But for people who hadn't had that, of course they weren't going to enjoy poetry because it's like a different language. And I think that ruined a lot of early what could have been a romance or an interest in poetry it 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 well and truly stamped it sta- like stamped it out because they had they, they couldn't access it I think that makes sense I mean I remember you know feeling and it feels like a cliche now but Sylvia Plath and Emily Dickinson and when the mm. sort of the Emily Dickinson renaissance a couple of years ago and you know sort of teenage girls yeah I'm doing, making uh, quotation marks my fingers like discovering her and I'm like yeah she's so full of feeling like the time to read Emily Dickinson my god it's when you're like 12 or 13 and intense it's all there yes it really is it really is you have to find it but you also have to have the language and have something that connects you to being there mm. and you have to, it has to be encouraged in in young people because it doesn't make sense even having the material but then they live in an environment where such things aren't encouraged anyway yeah it has to, you know it's a 360 thing and that's why it's important to, to to talk to younger people to engage them to to listen to what they say because it all makes sense and that's how we 
that's that's how we get our next generation of artists by encouraging these things it's some version of it's the same as having the book and listening to the audio book yeah. you need to be able to have this everywhere you go absolutely i was curious about um what you said about growing up the bible as well because however problematic or not it is as a text it's so full of these really big vivid stories and I think that if you're a little kid who knows the bible you know imagination there's space in your brain for the hugest universes yes there is and once you can believe that someone turns water into wine and there's a technical a dream coat and people are walking around with angels. Really, I mean, your mind is just so fecund at that point. Of course you can create whole, whole wild, wide worlds, whole, whole wide worlds, <laughs> Tom Twister. Of course you can create that because you believe the other things or you have been taught the other things by people who believe, believe them. And that means something. Whatever we want to say about the Bible, it means something. It's a, it's a place for your brain to, to be. Definitely. As a reader, do you like being kind of challenged or being scared? Those stories that have that kind of, uh, that dimension and that, you know, sense of what is possible and what's terrifying? Or, you know, when you're sort of rereading, do you, are you looking for comfort and resolution to some degree? No, I don't need the resolution because that that that's all interior. I I love that some things do make you think, and I I love the unsafe. It's weird. I don't actually watch horror films or anything like that because I just don't want to pay to stress my body out. But <laughs> I, in in books, I can read. I can read more or less anything. Yeah, I want to be challenged. I want to come face to face with some of those things that I I fear or have thought about. And I can definitely read about things a lot more than I can see them or hear them. It's where I make sense of the world. It's where I feel the strongest. Weirdly, when a book has that, you know, sort of the darkness and the fear and the ambiguity, I think sometimes it can be scarier than anything. When you put something on a screen, there's no ambiguity there. It's, it flattens it, whereas a book does. can haunt you in all ways. That's why I feel that they have to resort to, you know, all the loud, sudden bangs that make you jump, which I hate, mm. by the way. Yeah, <laughs> in the, same. In the theatre, in the theatre. But yeah, much, I much prefer something chilling or something that leaves you with questions afterwards and something that you... Because that's when something has truly has truly unsettled you whereas with those with some of those films you've forgotten it as soon as you've watched it you watched it and you had the scary sort of thrilling moments but then it's out of your body yeah hours later so on that theme have you got any suggestions for subtly scary books or there are some um oh now the author's name let me get it actually up so i can read it because I don't want to get it wrong, but it's, there's, okay, so there's The Dark Dark by Samantha Hunt. Some of the stories in Alice Walker's collected stories are actually like that. There is a book called, 
called, um, let me find it. So it's by Carmen Maria Machado. And I hope that I've pronounced uh, the author's name. And there are two books that, that I read that, are, that have that element to them where you're like, oh, Her Body and Other Parties, that's one. But the other one that really chilled me, and it's, a, and it's a memoir, it's about real life, is called In the Dream House. I have that. I've not read it yet. I bought it just before I moved house from the wow. Deal Bookshop, which is near me. Good book. Especially if, if you've had a situation similar to that. It's a good book. I, the impression I get is this right is that it is a memoir, but it has got yeah. that a sort of shifting non-linear vibe that it's not a sort of an and then and then and then. Yeah, it's interesting. It's definitely a memoir, but the way that it describes this relationship is frankly frightening in some ways. In a way that you see coming and you also don't. And I think that's truly chilling. So I really, really enjoyed. That was one that I, I, I listened to and took it everywhere. Oh, does she narrate it? She does. Oh, so do you know what's next on your list for audiobooks? You, yeah, I can, I can tell you right now because I have it on my Audible. Um, so there, there are a couple of things. Um, I don't know if this book has actually been released on on Audible. So I've just listened to a couple of books by uh, um, Awaki Mezi, and I just listened Mm. to the... Is it The Death of Vivek? There's a couple. There's a couple that I've just listened to. So there's Freshwater. And then um, I think there's the... I don't know if it's The Life of Vivek, or Odio The Death of Vivek, or incredible just I love the way that this writer talks about things and how how they describe things again in that way that's it can be chilling it can be chilling and they they're only describing the way that somebody feels about something but it just it hangs around it stays with you and I love when writing does that oh that sounds wonderful yeah I love that the feeling of being claimed yeah, yeah. And when a book just settles there and just says, no, I know you wanted to do that, but don't you just want to finish mm. me tonight? Can I be your plan for tonight? <laughs> <laughs> and usually I'm like, yeah, of course. I didn't have to do anything more interesting than finding out what happens. And um, again, the book, Nothing to See Here, also weirdly chilling, but super cool at the same time i've just looked at my audible uh, and i have i have four credits so i'm really excited oh yeah excellent because i get so many sometimes that i'm still i'm I'm a bit behind with them but i love that i'm very excited stay in touch and let us know what you i get will i will i will um I'm very sad to hear, I think we're at time, but it's been so lovely to talk to you and I could talk to you about books for days. Um, Same. And I'm so excited about sending the how to everyone I know and love. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. Have a really lovely day. And, and you too, um, I hope we speak again one day. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. And if you think of any, if you really, really enjoy any books, please drop me a line, let me know, because I'm always just so interested in what people are reading and when and why and yeah huge thanks to you sir
The Howl is out on the 11th of November and I loved it. It's a compassionate, magical manifesto. It's a call for creative tenderness and it's a perfect present for anyone beloved in your life who isn't afraid of a little woo. Don't be, I'm woo too. You can follow us at YBooked on social media. Look out for book recommendations, words of wisdom from old guests and occasional shelfies. We love it when you share the podcast with your friends and thanks so much to everyone who has left a five-star review. It helps other people to discover us and their new favourite books. You can find a list of all the books mentioned by Yersa at slash booked and check out her selection in our bookshop on bookshop.org. We'll be back next week. For now, I leave you with this from Anita Bruckner. I suppose what one wants really is ideal company and books are ideal company. See you next time. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.